If you look around, there are so many ways to make a difference. At Capella University, our FlexPath format gives you a different way to earn your degree. Take courses at your speed. Move on whenever you're ready. Education should fit your life. Learn more at capella.edu. Here at Mountain Dew, we'd like to remind you, you got to know what's important and what's not important. Knowing how to tie a tie, not important. Keeping a diary, not important. Trying all the different bold flavors of Mountain Dew, important. Experience the boldest flavors on earth. Do the Dew. At Mountain Dew, we'd like to recognize the number zero for making Mountain Dew Zero Sugar possible. You have no reason not to try it, as in zero. Get it? Crack open an ice-cold Mountain Dew Zero Sugar. It's zero sugar, all Dew. And welcome back to the Exxon, everyone. I am Rob McConnell, and for the next four hours, I'm your host and your guide as together we cross the time-space continuum to this place that I call the Exxon. It's a place where people dare to believe and dare to be heard. It's a place where fact is fiction and fiction is reality. And the Exxon comes to you Monday through Friday from 10 p.m. Eastern until 2 a.m. Eastern, right here on the Exxon Broadcast Network, Talkstar Radio Network, Mutual Broadcast Network, and Simul Radio TV. If you'd like to send me an email, xzone at xzoneradiotv.com on all social media sites, xzoneradiotv. And for the broadcast schedule of the Exxon Radio TV show, as well as the other programming that we have available for you 24 7 365 on the Exxon Broadcast Network, visit www.xzbn.net. And for all the information about the Exxon TV channel exclusive to Simul TV, visit www.simultv.com. Exxon Nation, my guest, uh, first guest tonight is Brandy Stark, and she started the Spirits of St. Petersburg in 1997 when she first started her academic research into the role of the luminal. She took her uh, research to conferences and expanded into studying the lore and legends of Tampa Bay. She was, un- she was able to utilize her connections at the University of Ta- uh, South Florida to do her first official ghost hunt in 1999, which uh, she later wrote up as an article for the USFSP student paper, The Crow's Nest. From there, she did talks in the local community and met other individuals curious about the supernatural. The Spirits of St. Petersburg team did the group investigations starting in the year 2000, and over the years, she has done approximately 400 investigations on her own and with her team. For more information about Brandy Stark and her team, visit spiritsofstpetersburg.com. And Brandy Stark, welcome back to the X-Zone. Great having you with us again. Oh, thank you so much. So tell me, what have you been up to? Um, 400 investigations. Where do you find the time? Uh, I gave up sleeping. I gave up sleeping. That's what happened. (laughs) So it has actually been a really hectic Halloween this year. Mm -hmm. Um, It's been hectic since I think I spoke with you last time. But um, I started the Spirits, as you mentioned. Uh, We kind of unofficially started in 97 with the, the ramped up ghost investigations in 99. And then we uh, really formed as a cohesive group in 2000. And I thought I thought all of this was going to last about five years. And here we are, <laughs> 23 years later, and we're still doing uh, the paranormal investigation. And in fact, tonight I have been running around like mad, uh, worried that, you know, I'm making sure I'm here on time. But it... Uh, we had a very busy Halloween with a lot of really nice coverage. I, I was shocked. I was really thrilled. Mm-hmm. And um, we've got a couple of new cases brewing. So one is in Fort Myers and the other is up in Clearwater. And both of them have really impressive video that they've sent us off their security camera. So I'm coordinating those investigations. And at the same time, I have started doing a historical ghost tour of St. Petersburg. So I had one of those tonight. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so it's... It has been one of those uh, one of those days where uh, we've been running like crazy. Uh, I, I wasn't even sure if my emails were getting through. I mean, it's just been nuts. But by golly, we made it. We made it. Here we are, Brandy. Why why do you, why do you think the paranormal is still so interesting and growing in interest after all these years? 
Oh, that's a great question. Well, I think the first thing is that we have not really officially um, gotten it canonized. We don't have it defined. There's no strict guidelines still. There are popular guidelines, but uh, there's not the same level of um, oh, laboratory experience. Everybody seems to do things a little bit differently. But I think that our society is still really looking for that supernatural and extraordinary experience, something that is not a part of the everyday world. Um, the everyday world is, uh, as, as we mentioned earlier, has been very harsh uh, lately. Yeah. Uh, I'm down here in Florida. Uh, not only do we have COVID-19 all over the place, you know, so there's all sorts of different mass mandates and kind of that craziness, but we just had an election, which still isn't settled. And, you know, I think the paranormal, um, oddly enough, I think it's more more of a stabilizing factory uh, factor for people. They can they can kind of study it. They can look for that interaction. Um, they can have that unique experience. So I think that's why it's still very popular. Plus, I would imagine it is something that everyone can do without, you know, putting out a lot of money to get involved. That's it. I just did a uh, Paranormal Investigation 101 for Eckerd College's Osher Lifelong Learning Institute called their OLLI program. And, you know, it was the same thing. I mean, who can be a paranormal investigator? Well, uh, you don't have to have a degree. Um, You know, it is good to have a mentorship, I think. But, um, you know, it is something that people can engage in. And, you know, even the paranormal tour that I did tonight was a a young couple from Ohio. And uh, they were very excited because the wife in particular watched a lot of shows and neither one of them had ever done a ghost tour. So it's kind of that interactive experience. Uh, Can something unique happen to me? Um, You know, I think we all want to feel that special connection to the other side in the spiritual world. and, And ghost hunting allows us to do that. Over the years, you and I have talked many times, and I'm, I'm still amazed that with the number of paranormal teams that are out there, independent researchers, independent uh, um, paranormal investigators, that what could be considered as concrete evidence of the existence of that of which they are seeking has, has been established yet? You know, and I've always found that rather amazing, but... I'm kind of to the point of considering paranormal investigation not just a pseudoscience, but maybe even a pseudo-religion of sorts, in part because the main instrument, if you really break it down, the main instrument of research is the researcher. Yeah. Uh, so it's it's qualitative research. It is very bias-based. I mean, you know, as an academic, you have to have that transparency, and part of that transparency is a personal bias. So... You have to be willing to admit to that. But what I have found is a variety of, in fact, I'll just give the example of Fort Myers. So uh, Fort Myers, we actually, uh, it's about an hour and a half from where I'm at. But uh, this poor gentleman was kind of desperate. He has some unusual activity going on. Uh, we ended up doing, oddly enough, a, uh, a Zoom investigation just to kind of get us started. Mm-hmm. Uh, but he also had a local investigator, and, and the two different inputs were very radically different. Uh, so one came from a very religious point of view, and then we kind of came from a more secular point of view. But, uh, you know, two very kind of different answers to what to do with this experience. And so, again, uh, what do you do with that? So... Um, you know, my recommendation remains for folks, you know, to research your investigators and find a team whose philosophy will match with yours and who has some sort of at least experience or credentials of sorts that, that kind of ground them in Mm. as reliable, um, and stick with that team. Um, ultimately I I have had experiences where there are certain houses that jump from group to group to group Mm. and, uh, it, it creates such uh, an unstable environment and such unstable research um, that it's really, it kind of ruins the field. It ruins the investigation site in some ways. Um, so that's kind of my my thinking with this anyway. We're working on it, though. We're working on that, Canon. Uh, you, you were talking about credentials, and uh, last night I had a guest on our show mm-hmm. that I had suspicions about, so I asked our our research team to vet the guest out. Okay. And they told us that they had degrees in demonology and a degree in cryptozoology. 
Wow, well, I, I would like those degrees. Well, well of course, uh, who wouldn't? Yeah. So we asked them to send us copies of the of the certificates for our background check, and mm -hmm. lo and behold, they sent them. Okay. However, my uh, my researcher said, "Rob, take a look at this." Okay. And I said, "Okay," and it was a computer generated certificate. Mm-hmm. But wow. on a university, and it was from a university, two certificates. Yeah, it said on the top it said certificate, and on the bottom it said degree, which is <laughs> you know which is a big red flag right there. Sorry, here. Are we there? My apologies, <laughs> my my peanut gallery. Your ghost busting dog. There, yes, yes. Unfortunately, uh, they're all here with me tonight, and they oh, were sleeping very peacefully. Uh -huh. And one has picked picked a, a little scuffle with another. And I'm like, oh, oh come it on, happens. guys! It, it has happens. been a day. So I apologize. So you no, were saying no that it had a degree on the top. No, it, it had certificate <laughs> on the on the top, degree right. on the bottom, and where there's usually the signature of the president and the or the chancellor, mm -hmm. there weren't. Oh. What it was was it was you know it was a uh, a computer font. Okay. And there was no seal on the uh, the document of the university. Okay. So I called up the university, and uh, they said no. That uh, could you send us? Can you send us a a a graphic or a picture? I said sure. So we sent them that, and they called us right back and said nope. This is not from us Ooh, that wow. and uh, before the before they got back to us we established that the certificates were issued in 2001 and 2002 signed by the president of the university that was <laughs> only put in place in 2011 oh my gosh wow holy cow that's a lot of work to go through that's interesting. You know, so when it when we talk about credentials, yeah, un unless the red flags weren't raised at this end, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. you know, we we wouldn't have caught on. How, however, however, how many people, or how many other members of the media, would not take the time to actually do the proper vetting? You're right, and that's. That's part of the issue. So, you know, I've there was a team that was south of us that was giving out certificates. Mm -hmm. Well, that's nice. Uh, you pay for their training course and you got a certificate. And I, I actually had this one woman who got very upset with me because I wasn't accepting the certificate for her to join the team. And I'm like, but you don't understand. The certificate just says that you took their course, which is great. I mean, good for you. You've got something back there. Yeah. You know, you've got some studying in, but. Uh, it, there's, I mean, you're taking their philosophy. It, it doesn't, it doesn't equate to a university degree. Mm -hmm. It doesn't equate to a college course. And even the course that I taught for the Ollie program, the Ollie program, it's not a certificate. It's, it's courses of interest yep. where you get folks that have an academic background. You can talk about this. So you're not getting credit for it. And there's nothing coming out saying I took this course. Um, and in fact, I just had somebody who asked me, uh, is there a place where you can actually get a degree in parapsychology? And as far as I know, because I keep looking, yeah. it's really the University of Edinburgh, if they're still doing that. Um, you might be able to build a liberal studies degree of sorts in mm -hmm. which you get to channel that research into a specific topic uh, of ghosts, but it's still a liberal arts degree. All right, stand yeah, by, my I, dear friend. I, I'm sorry to cut you off, but I these are hard breaks we have to take here. Absolutely. All right. By the way, I love dog. Harbor Town and she works laying 
whiskey down They say brandy, fetch another round She serves them whiskey and wine They say, they say brandy All right, that was dedicated to our guest this hour, Brandy Stark, by our producer, Craig, who loves to find a song with a name. So there you go, Brandy. That's from Craig. Did you know that I was actually named after that song? No. So it was very appropriate. <laughs> no, I didn't know that. <laughs> <sighs> oh, thank you, though. Thank him very much as well. No, that, was, that was perfect. I love it. He's putting his thumbs up. Oh, what? <laughs> What would you describe, or how would you describe to someone what a ghost is? Oh, wow. You are asking some really great questions tonight. I love that. So I usually go with the idea that a ghost is a disembodied consciousness. So, again, uh, in the 90s, we would have called it a corporally challenged individual, somebody without a body but still having a personality. Uh, usually I consider a ghost to be an intelligent haunting uh, as, as kind of the more elevated uh, ideology. Um, but I think they're absolutely fantastic and fascinating. And um, to, yeah, that's the way to start. Now, from an academic point of view, uh, when I was doing my papers, and I'm, I've still been doing them, and in fact, uh, I was just teaching uh, on Halloween of all days. I had to, I have a Saturday blended express course, which is kind of crazy, <laughs> but uh, I went in on Halloween to teach and they actually had a, I had a PowerPoint on the history of Halloween. So these poor students had to listen to that. But, but um, I usually like to explain that a ghost is a liminal state being. So it's a, a, an entity that was once natural, uh, has passed on, crossed the supernatural threshold, but continues to exist in the natural world as a supernatural being. So some of the rules apply and some of the rules don't apply. So time and space are a little bit wiggy uh, for a ghost. Um, back in the old days, this is why you would consult a ghost with necromancy uh, or you'd read the Iliad or uh, the Aeneid and the ghost would know a little bit about the future or yeah, really about the, the past. They're kind of outside of time and space, so they have a different perspective. Um, they can appear and disappear outside of the rules of space, but the interesting thing is that it does appear that ghosts eventually age out. So they're still uh, somewhat bound by the rules of time and space. Does the energy dissipate? Uh, do they, because apparently, and, and everything that I have researched indicates that over the years, they become weaker and they kind of fade away. Uh, the sightings become less and less. And so I do find that to be a rather interesting thing. So that would put them uh, with some of the rules, just not the same ones that we obey. <laughs> so we're more trapped by time and space. Yes. But why are there only certain spirits or certain ghosts that remain and others go on to greener pastures or to heaven or to wherever they go? Well, I know, for example, the case in Fort Myers that we're looking at uh, is a very interesting one. So uh, this poor fellow, uh, he took in his father-in-law uh, who had cancer. The oh, father-in-law passed after about two months in hospice care mm -hmm. in their home. And it, it has a very elaborate background that apparently there were some family troubles that were going on. Uh, and when he died, uh, the will was not changed, and there was no resolution to these family issues. Well, lo and behold, uh, the entity has uh, basically come back. I mean, shortly after he passed away, they had the body cremated. They bought uh, the ashes home. Um, and as soon as they did, um, activity started. So uh, strange noises, upsetting the dogs, uh, the portrait of the gentleman that they had over the ashes flew off the wall. They caught that on film. Um, the family members are being touched and the beds are being shaken at night. I mean, it's, it's definitely a very angry, but very personal, uh, spirit essentially. Uh, it definitely seems to have a connection to the family. So, you know, some sort of, first of all, very angry emotion because of the family issue. And then secondly, uh, unfinished business, uh, you know, and so, you know, here's this entity uh, very upset about where his property is most likely going to go and who's going to get it and, and is manifesting kind of in this angry way. But then, you know, tonight I just did a tour and we have some entities that uh, I call them drop-ins. We don't know why they're there. We don't know who they are. 
uh, how they got there. There's no deaths on the property. There's you know, nothing connecting them to this location, and yet they're there. So one of my favorites is a, a place here called Janus Landing that used to be the courtyard of one of the oldest hotels in the city of St. Petersburg. And there's a friendly ghost that actually, uh, it's now a concert venue. And when people start feeling uh, suffocated in the crowds, it's a standing room only type of place that holds about 2000 people. Uh, I've had two direct reports of people being drawn out of the crowd. Uh, they feel somebody kind of guiding them out. But as soon as they turn around to say, thank you, there's absolutely nobody there. Uh, people don't, identify they don't know they never saw anyone helping this person out uh, but there's such a distinct feeling uh, including you know a description kind of a corner manifestation a tall lanky man with dark hair here at mountain dew we'd like to remind you you got to know what's important and what's not important knowing how to tie a tie not important Keeping a diary? Not important. Trying all the different bold flavors of Mountain Dew? Important. Experience the boldest flavors on earth. Do the Dew. At Mountain Dew, we'd like to recognize the number zero for making Mountain Dew Zero Sugar possible. You have no reason not to try it, as in zero. Get it? Crack open an ice-cold Mountain Dew Zero Sugar. It's zero sugar. All Dew. At Kroger, we believe it takes the right team to bring you the freshest produce. That's why we partner with farmers who grow only the best. Because that level of teamwork means better, fresher options time and time again. From fresh berries to fresh tomatoes, we know the farm is where it all grows. From their farms to your forks, working with farmers is what it takes to be fresh for everyone. Kroger, fresh for everyone. You already know the fun of King's Island. Blue ice cream for lunch, catching your breath between screams on the beast. But this summer at King's Island, this is 50. Don't miss their 50th anniversary celebration all summer long with new shows, new food, and new fun. It's King's Island's biggest summer yet. And now through August 14th, King's Island is turning up the excitement with a daily 50 years of fun street party. It features dancers, music, and more commemorating the last 50 years. Make plans today at visitkingsisland.com. Caucasian wearing a baseball cap, but there's nobody matching that description that they can find. So, you know, why do they show up? Did they did they pass away in a similar manner? Did they work at Janice Landing at one point? Are they connected to it? Uh, do they want to prevent somebody else from dying in that manner? Um, you know, it's that unfinished business, perhaps a nice guardianship role. Uh, taking on a personal duty. So that gets to be kind of interesting. Well, but, let's, let's just talk about the case of the man who passed on in the house and, you know, mm-hmm. uh, and, and, the, and the turmoil after his, his death. Yeah. Could what is happening in the house in this case be actually caused by the occupants of the house who, for some emotional reason or other, are actually manifesting what we think is a spirit or a ghost? What's interesting is that uh, other members of the family are not reporting the same phenomenon. Now, they don't live in that house Mm -hmm. in particular, Uh, but there definitely seems to be a connection to the family. So um, the husband uh, of the wife, the wife's father is one who passed, but he's the one who's reporting the activity. Uh, The wife has left the house. She's not coming back uh, until this is settled. Um, And even though she's gone, interestingly enough, the husband is still having activity. I did curtail a little bit. I mean, we did kind of recommend he he was kind of giving some mixed signals to the entity. Uh, He didn't want to engage it. He was ignoring it. The activity was increasing. So at one point we just said, listen, uh, you know, I don't think this can be any clearer. The manifestations are in the room that the gentleman died in. Uh, The portrait is over the ashes is what flew off the wall. Um, you know, it, it's definitely going for family. I mean, I think this is a pretty direct message that he's trying to pass on to family that he is unhappy. Um, you know, why don't you try to tell him to stop doing X, Y, or Z? The activity did decrease in pretty much the rest of the house. They had house guests. Their activity stopped. There's nothing going on there. 
But the son-in-law, who is again the only family member who is currently in the house that is related to this gentleman, uh, he just called yesterday morning saying uh, he was having activity again. And, you know, they sent a video and indeed there's kind of some odd images on the video and the bed shaking. And so, you know, I kind of really don't think he's manifesting it, uh, but it, it does seem to be that the family is a target. Uh, the gentleman was in hospice. Uh, the son-in-law does not have the same connection. You know, he said, we liked you. Uh, we loved you. Mm -hmm. uh, but, you know, it, they weren't the best of buddies either. You know, so why the activity would be coming from the son-in-law um, doesn't quite make the same amount of sense. I could see it if the daughter was still there. Uh, but but she is not. And uh, so we're kind of watching this case. It looks like we're going to end up going down on Tuesday uh, to see what what we can find out on a, a more direct level. So actually going through the home and seeing yeah, the activity. So how do you do the investigation? You and your team go there. And, and what is the procedure that you follow? So traditionally, now this case has been a, a bit more skewed, but traditionally what we do is uh, to actually have me as the contact. Uh, I have an off-site researcher who does research on the property. So for example, the Clearwater case that I mentioned, and they sent some outdoor video that has a shadow figure. Um, they sent several videos, about six, but there's two that show this rather unique shadow figure moving through, and it actually manifests and dissipates. It's really cool. But that case is kind of doing more of what we're, we typically do, what we try to do. But I would be the contact. Uh, again, we have a researcher who does not attend the investigation but sends the information to me. Uh, the team actually gets basically a general area. Uh, they don't get uh, an address. They get a general crossroad just to get an, an idea of where to drive to, so approximate driving time. Mm -hmm. uh, and then we follow that up with uh, the actual investigation. So. Um, about an hour before the investigation, they know to look online and I will send them the address. Um, in order to really do some hardcore looking around and digging through, you really have to have some time. So usually about an hour is appropriate or within an hour of the driving time. Um, we meet at the property, we do go in together and I will sit with the homeowner. Um, we have some forms to fill out. I make sure that the information that they've given me is still up to date. Uh, if there's any new activity, but I kind of sit with the homeowner, uh, making sure that they're nice and calm as well and letting them know exactly what we're doing. We'll open up the investigation by addressing any potential entities and just let them know that we're there to talk with them, to communicate with them, but in a positive manner. We're not there to chase them, annoy them, aggravate them. We just want to know who they are and what they want and how we can help. Um, we actually have the investigation after that in which my team will go through and they have no information at this point. Uh, they will write down in a notebook or journal what they feel, what the readings are, what their instruments are saying, whatever it is. Um, they come back to the homeowner and myself and they literally, one after the other, will talk about the information. I type it pretty much verbatim. Uh, so that we have it documented. They're reading this off their notebook, so they have it documented. And then we kind of triage. So we'll talk as a group, and I'll say, well, where do you think we need to go? It looks like, according to what you've reported, the master bedroom, uh, the living room. You know, we, we pick the hot spots, and then as a team, we will do our EVPs, we will do our uh, recordings, etc. Um, at the very, very end, we have open dialogue with the homeowner, and uh, the homeowner is present the entire time, but again, we're trying to kind of curtail some of that. We can modify things if the homeowner has questions and they really want to join us for that part of the investigation. They can, but it's usually kind of discouraged. Mm -hmm. And then, of course, uh, afterwards, we do have uh, review sessions. Um, and we have now learned because of, of COVID-19 that we can do a lot of Zooming together which is kind of fun to actually bring up the video and to sit as a group and all of us watch this video together. Um, same thing with EVP sessions. I have a couple that will come together and uh, we'll do kind of a broadcast and we'll listen to them together. Um, and it kind of does a nice bit of camaraderie. So at the very end, we try to get everything together and send an overall report to the homeowner. And it has been effective. Uh, it's about as controlled as I can get a, a case to be. And again, we try to aim for transparency. 
Um, if the homeowner is in need of anything, we definitely do try to help with that. And I now have some uh, associates that uh, do try and not necessarily remove entities, but do try to kind of talk them through to the other side in a, in a fairly gentle and compassionate manner. So, but that is only at homeowner request. I mean, if the investigation does not satiate things, then, um, you know, I have folks that I can at least recommend now. Sure. Um, and it, it's, it's been fun. I mean, it's, uh, I have a really good crew right now. All right, really, Brandy, we're going to take our news break at the bottom of the hour. When we come back, let's talk about your crew and uh, what they do and how they do it and share some of the stories that you've, uh, you've been able to investigate and come to conclusions about. Exonation, our guest is Brandy Stark, and if you'd like to contact Brandy, her website is www.spiritsofstpetersburg.com. This is the Exon. I'm Rob McConnell. I'll be back on the other side of this news break. Don't go away. Laying whiskey down, they say brandy, fetch another round. She serves them whiskey and wine. They say, they say brandy. Welcome back, everyone. Brandy Stark is our guest to this hour, www.spiritsofstpetersburg.com. Brandy, tell us about your team and uh, how many people you've got and what kind of responsibilities do your team members have? Do they, are they specifically trained in one area? And that's where things get interesting because everybody seems to have a bit of a specialty. So some feel like they are more sensitive. Mm -hmm. uh, I have one that really does very well with EVPs. I'm like, wow, that's great. I mean, she is just really on that. Uh, we've gotten some great EVPs with her, in fact, um, or from her, uh, from her listening. And in fact, she's very uh, specific. So uh, she makes sure she's she's got all of us saying hey and hi and, you know, making sure of what we sound like. So she's got kind of sound files that because every now and again on a case, people kind of talk in the background and she wants to make sure she's ruling out everything that's natural. Um, I have one that are actually two researchers right now. Uh, one is a, uh, I believe, a retired uh, Air Force, uh, and she, bless her heart, has been building uh, equipment. So she's working on uh, motion sensors and things like that. Um, and they're just, right now, I think I have a core team of five to six plus myself. Um, we've kind of opened up some things so that uh, the public can participate with this on certain events, like we did the world's largest ghost hunt for 2020. Uh, we did that outside at Mirror Lake, uh, which was great. I had 31 people come. But there's, that again, going right back to that first section, there's that interest in the paranormal. Uh, people really want to have that experience. So, um, you know, we have some general events and safe locations where people can spread out. I mean, we're doing all the, the careful things that we can. Mm -hmm. But um, the team that I have kind of organically came together and um, – it happens every now and again. It's probably the sixth or seventh incarnation of the spirit. So, you know, people come and people go over the years. But um, I've really enjoyed working with these ladies. They're right now, it's all female, uh, which is I'm like, what? Okay, nothing against men. I would love to have a couple of men in there as well. But right now, it's all female. Mm -hmm. And um, we just really get along. And it's, I mean, it was just so neat. Like last night when we were reviewing videos together that were sent to us from Clearwater and just actually having the whole group and being able to rewind that video and have everybody look and somebody would see something, we'd pause and we'd go back. And you know, it was just that camaraderie. Uh, they're very enthusiastic. Uh, and I think sometimes, particularly as somebody, you know, again, 20 some odd years now, 
uh, you sometimes need some of that enthusiasm. Uh, there are days where I'm like, I am not getting any younger. <laughs> I am tired. But you get with a group that's um, interested and motivated. And it just, you're kind of like, okay, this is really cool. And when you have a good group, by golly, you get better results. Uh, one of my very favorites was at a case, as I mentioned, we did World's Largest Ghost Hunt. And we split it in half. So the first half was really kind of with the public at Mirror Lake. Um, people kind of brought their equipment. I had some compasses to hand out. People had apps. We had some sensitives. And they kind of isolated some hot spots in the area, which I've been shocked at. I've been going back to a couple of them. And indeed, I think we we're tracking down one of the ghosts that's at, at this outdoor park, which is unique for me. Um, a gentleman who died there in 2012, uh, who uh, basically began to, quote unquote, act erratically and went into the water and never resurfaced as a living person. Um, so I've, I've been shocked at that. The public input, I, I really thought it was an urban legend. And so actually having folks say, well, we're getting stuff here and being able to follow up and going, oh, my gosh, we're, we're still getting stuff. What kind of stuff were you getting? Well, the the public, a couple of them had the ghost radar apps and things like that. And, you know, okay, sure. Uh, but a couple of the apps pinged on things like mirror and uh, a certain type of tree. There's a rubber tree that's down there. Uh, initially, I thought it was a banyan tree. And it turns out I had an arborist who looked at it and was like, no, that's a rubber tree. I mean, the, the little app was right to call it a rubber tree. I'm like, oh, okay, my information is off. And... Um, uh, there was a gentleman, a young man, who said there's definitely a presence at this tree. Uh, and when we did more research in the area, that end of the park, um, there was a murder in 2004, um, about maybe 40 feet away. Uh, there have been, uh, there was the suicide of the gentleman who walked into the lake. There were three accidental deaths in the area where bodies are fished out on the north end of the lake. Yeah, so it's, I was like, well, dang, I mean, we've really got something here. And again, when I try to do EMF or EVPs, I'm trying to see if I can figure out who's there. Um, so far, fairly consistently, it has been the gentleman who committed suicide. And that's, that's neat. I mean, it's particularly because outdoor investigations have so many other issues. I mean, we're outside. You know, is there electric boxes? Is there, you know, electricity? Is it raining? Is it windy? Is it, you know, there's all of these factors. And so um, I've been really delighted uh, that we, we got that. Uh, we have been trying EVPs. I've not gotten a lot there, but I've had multiple folks now who are kind of trying the EVPs as well and um, EMF attempts, and we're kind of getting similar responses. So that's fun. Now, when, uh, I, when, it, when it comes to the... The calibration of of the equipment now with the new 5g is there any correlation between an increase of paranormal activity or decrease or has anything actually been put into the 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 number of wi-fi and cell towers that have been around that could actually be interfering with the uh, the equipment that paranormal investigators use in order to give false readings at this point, a cell phone in general is going to give you a false reading. So um, uh, that's why I always love watching the ghost TV shows because those cameras that they carry and cell phones give off the same readings. And mm -hmm. you can, if you know what you're looking for, you're like, oh, that's a cell phone. <laughs> it's not a ghost. It's a cell phone. So usually I do recommend that folks, um, actually what I like to do is if they have meters or a Boy Scout compass, which is a very basic EMF meter, I actually have them hold them up to their cell phone so that they can see what the energy is going to look like. And then I usually recommend, you know, either turn off your wireless or entirely turn off the phone because cell phone signals in general will mess with your equipment. So I do try to keep that as a standard. Um, so I think that's pretty interesting. As far as I know, uh, the, the higher cell phone power hasn't really done anything yet. Um, I would say the pandemic has actually impacted ghosts more so than anything else because either we're home more uh, or we're out of buildings longer. So if, if the living actually serve as a power source for entities and nobody's coming to the building, uh, are, they, are they getting enough energy? Or if we're not using the building, if the power's off or whatnot, I've, I've been kind of playing with that idea over the past few months. Um, but yeah, for the most part, uh, just trying to be transparent and again, suggesting people practice uh, on the tour, on the event, after the event, before the event. Practice what? What do you practice? 
Um, usually, people can do it in their homes, but I don't always recommend that because you can psych yourself out. So, uh, for example, uh, you know, you can you can walk around the park. You can walk around a mm. park. You can, uh, if you do experiment at home, at least experiment with the things that we know are producing EMF. So, you know, check your air conditioning. Oh, check your power box. Check your ice uh, your ice maker. Sorry, your refrigerator. Check. You know, so you can actually kind of practice that way. Um, I don't necessarily recommend trying to practice if there's a ghost in your house, because again, you, you can get into some weird territory there, but um, just trying to even rule out the natural causes is a good thing. Uh, they can take ghost tours. Um, if folks are knowing of haunted areas, so there's a lot of parks that have deaths, uh, Maximo Park locally. is. Well, hold on. Let, let me stop you here for a second. Why would, why would there have to be a, a murder or some other kind of death why well, why you know like it's not it, it, always there's sometimes uh, mm -hmm. maximo park for example um was actually a native american settlement and okay. uh initially it was native american middens that were destroyed uh, knocked down uh, with the city builders mm -hmm. uh, so some people do believe that uh, the native american energy is still there um, there have been a couple of natural disasters, and actually not natural disasters, unnatural disasters. Uh, the Sunshine Skyway Bridge collapsed in 1980, uh, and there were a couple of shipwrecks in the same area with deaths, and the bodies were actually brought onto that property, near that property as well. So there doesn't have to be a death. It can be a, a place memory. Uh, Philippi Park is another one that seems to have a place memory uh, that does respond to equipment, interestingly enough. Um, everybody who's gone, for example, to Philippi Park kind of senses the same thing, that there's a ceremony going on on one side of this park. Uh, so it's not necessarily a, a living ghost that's there, but it's perhaps an imprint from a lifetime that was there. But how much of this, can, this, this feeling that the people get be part of the hype of actually going to a place where there have been reports? Yes. You know, now the, the human psyche plays a big part, especially since there's no concrete evidence to support any claims of the paranormal. And that's where it gets to be a problem. Yeah. So where is it that suggestion is an issue? Um, for example, with the spirits of St. Petersburg, I do every now and again try to throw in what I call a control house, a non-haunted house. At least the homeowner reports no activity mm -hmm. uh, and is willing to volunteer the house. And we actually do the, you know, same deal. They don't know if it's haunted or not haunted, but you know, it's the same exact practice. And I've been actually relatively pleased because pretty much my investigators are like, there's, there's nothing here. And they always look very, you know, shocked and surprised, you know, and I'm like, well, that's yeah. at the very end, we kind of do the reveal. And I'm like, well, you know, it's a good thing because there's nothing here. But again, you, you do have something called a stigmatized property where a death has taken place and it becomes a legend. So the Amityville Horror House, for example, mm -hmm. uh, or you have suggestion. And so that's where we fall right back again to the bias uh, and to the investigator as the instrument. And so uh, what do you do with that? And until we can kind of figure a way to correlate um, I think we're just going to kind of remain in this nebulous state for a while with paranormal investigation. Um, I mean, there are some cases where I've seen people who really think they have activity. And when I look at it, I, I keep thinking, but I think I can explain that. <laughs> and it's not really paranormal. And what do you do with that? Because then it becomes a belief base. And so it's, you know, they'll argue, well, you weren't here when I was here and I felt this. And yeah. And so then you have to say, well, okay. And it's subjective. Um, and so that's where I think it really begins to fall to a pseudo-religion in some ways, where it is very opinion-based, uh, even with uh, popular ideas and popular canon, not scientific canon, that we cannot replicate it or reproduce it in a, in a systematic manner. So, so, uh, so how, can we, how can we justify even, even contemplating the the reality of the paranormal if it can't be proved and here we go <laughs> that i get that question when i teach religious studies mm -hmm. <laughs> and i get that question but what's the answer uh well unfortunately for religion it falls to faith faith and belief and it's irrational mm -hmm. 
the, the closest I can come to try and explain that in a non-religious way is political belief. Uh, you know, so you unearth these facts that, you know, this information that can be skewed in different manners, mm-hmm. uh, it becomes interpreted in different ways. I mean, we're certainly experiencing that right now here in America, which is, you know, it's very chaotic. And I see the same thing within the paranormal field. I do see some of this chaos. Um, however, at the same time, there are places like uh, the May Stringer House where multiple people um, have experiences in the attic of being scratched. I'm one of them, uh, and I didn't believe in scratching. All right, stand by. We're going to have to do a little bit of a cliffhanger here. I have to take our final for this hour. Exonation. Our guest is Brandy Stark, and uh, Brandy and I will be back on the other side of this break as we continue here in the Exxon with yours truly, Rob McConnell. Don't go away. Mama used to dance for the money they'd throw. Brandy Stark is my guest this hour, Exonation. And if you uh, you can find out more about Brandy by going to her website at spiritsofstpetersburg.com. Brandy, uh, you, you were talking before about EVPs. Mm-hmm. How do we explain how EVPs work when we can't see what is what? making the noise or the yeah. the um, the audio track, and, and yet? If I understand how it works, it can only be heard after in a replay of the audio file. How does that work? Things are getting a little more complicated. There are some folks that uh, can get headphones and will listen to the EVPs kind of in uh, live time. Mm-hmm. And every now and again, I have seen folks report that they get, they can hear the EVP in the response. Uh, plus, we're we're now starting to deal with uh, kind of the wide-scale use of the spirit box, the old Frank's box, if you remember those, yep. uh, with the radio station. So, and now apps and the Ovilus. And, you know, so people are trying to kind of communicate. But I will tell you, uh, one of my very favorite EVPs, uh, it was very recent. Um, and this is what I love. So I'll, I'll tie this into your question. But we were doing an investigation at Albert Witted, so part of the world's largest ghost hunt. We're in there, uh, paranormal pug Patroclus was with us and he was behaving that night. And, you know, we go into this flight lounge where all we have is this nebulous report uh, that I was told that something happened there, that was it. So we go in and uh, we do set up EVPs. Um, my researcher has sent me information um, and uh, we're trying to figure out who might be in this flight lounge. And what I love is that I'm kind of notorious, even as a professor, I will mispronounce last names. I like to add letters to them. And I think I said, is this Mr. Tomlinson? And on the EVP, as soon as I said that, there is a male voice. Now, there again, no men in the room except for Patroclus, the pug. And as far as I know, he's not talking. Uh, And you actually hear a voice come back and say, Thompson. And that was the actual correct pronunciation. It's a male voice. It's very distinct. And, you know, I'm being corrected. (laughs) And it was, I mean, how do you explain that unless it is by 
of the actual entity. So the idea is that when you do an EVP, an electronic voice phenomenon recording, you've got a recording device, you're setting it aside. I usually don't recommend phones. I usually recommend an actual device. Um, and you ask a question, you pause and you let the entity respond. So you, you, know, you kind of give it some time or you play back the conversation later to see if the entity actually uh, popped in while you were talking because sometimes they'll they'll actually talk over you as you're trying to talk about something. Um, in this case, again, I had directly asked, is this Mr. Tomlinson uh, and was corrected. So there was a pause and during that pause, there is that correction. Mm. Uh, and in fact, um, I was even later corrected by one of my own investigators who's like, no, you're saying the name wrong. So again, how do you explain that? How do you explain it with the playback? So in this case, to me, uh, that would definitely be some evidence. It's something very personal. Um, it's not a voice that matches with anybody else's in there. Um, it's distinct. And it actually ties to the history because this poor gentleman uh, had unfortunately crashed his plane uh, and, and passed away just uh, actually in the bay right outside of uh, Albert Witted Airport. Um, so that was that was phenomenal. It was really, really interesting. And in fact, I had somebody who had no inclination on the research. who was a sensitive who came in and she began to describe an older gentleman, balding, uh, blue shirt, you know, describing this figure. And um, we happened in my research notes, I happened to have a picture of him from the obituary and her description fit. It was really amazing. Oh, and there go the paranormal pugs again. So my peanut gallery is with me still. They are something tonight. So again, what do we do with that? It's a good question. Um, so so I, I'm hearing that it seems that the paranormal is, is more of a personalized. Yeah. Uh, you know, if you believe it, you, you know, you'll you get the you'll results. Right. Yep. Because I've I've seen many people who have gone out on ghost tours and uh, or on paranormal investigations, mm -hmm. and you'll have somebody who believes, say that they've made contact, and the person who is not a believer gets zip. Yep. I can give you an example of that. In fact, I did a ghost tour. I started these historic ghost tours just. And they're very small, so they're usually contained to families or couples. I think the largest one I had was a group of seven. I, I am really trying to keep this kind of small because of, you know, maneuverability and COVID. I really don't want to get sick or get anybody sick. But people want to go outside. So, um, but it is very interesting because on most of the tours, yes, we get a little bit of activity either at Mirror Lake, you know, or in one of the buildings that we go through. Mm -hmm. This particular tour nothing the entire night it was completely dead it was very strange to me because normally these are fairly you know interactive right uh not i mean we're not having over overwhelming interaction but you know mm -hmm. something well at the very end of the tour one of the women um said oh i think it was me and i'm like what do you mean it was you and she said well i'm baptist and before i came on the tour i prayed to god that i would not see anything i did not want to see any activity at all and lo and behold, we had freaking no activity. And it's the only tour that I have done in which it was just such a dud. Um, you know, and so I, I kind of have to wonder, uh, is that it? I mean, is it is it the belief? Is it the openness? Is an entity going to interact more with a group that wants to interact? Um, so well, what, what about the hypothesis that the paranormal is actually caused or the experience of a paranormal experience in a group is actually caused by the members of the group, and it has absolutely nothing to do with anything paranormal. Which would be interesting. And in fact, there were a couple of the projects, I think one up in Canada, mm -hmm. where they actually made up Phillip. an entity, yep. the, the Philip experiment. Yep. So that very well could be, and that's where things get to be very interesting. And in fact, I think there's some theoretical quantum physics that are starting to indicate that we are projecting our own reality, which ironically, Buddhism has been saying for a couple thousand years, but that's fine. Uh, so essentially, uh, are we projecting the ghost? Are we creating our own tulpas, if you will? I think that's a great question. Um, the only thing I can tell you is just 
you know, we're going to continue to study it. And the best we can do is to try for control situations. But but again, like politics, it does become a personal experience. We have this bit of information and it can be interpreted in all manners and varieties of ways mm -hmm. to support or refute um, an activity or an idea or an interaction. And so here we are. So um, what do you do with that? And so I, I don't know. I'm wondering if the field is going to stall out. I'm wondering if we are going to get better devices, if eventually we will get scientific devices that cannot be disputed. I'm really kind of... But what, happens, but what happens if we're using the wrong technology? I've said the same thing to Seth Shostak from SETI. Yes. You're, look, you're listening for a signal based on what we know on this planet. That's it. What happens in the case of ghosts that the methods that are being used, the equipment that is being used and created is based on what we know and has absolutely nothing to do with the actual way that if the phenomenon is real, it could be documented and thereby supplying concrete evidence. And that is what is so fascinating. And I, when I did my little paranormal investigation 101 course, mm -hmm. the first thing I tell folks is that not only is it a pseudoscience, but we are using equipment out of its normal context to try and prove something that has not yet been proven. And so here we are. Would you say that, in your opinion, what the main, the main uh, objective of the paranormal is, is in fact to prove life after death, that we are yes. just not here now, and once we go, that's the end of it? Yeah, I, personally, that's where I started. I, I can tell you that I've heard the same thing echoed from others. Mm -hmm. um, per, I, I don't know. if I think if this is it, man, that's going to kind of suck. <laughs> but there's my bias. You know, there it is. So, yes, I think people are very desperate in some ways to, number one, we're very materialistic right now. And so we're starting to see the shift away from kind of the materialism. The generations coming up now are looking for more interaction and more experiences. So I think that's one shift. Because if we put the, uh, our happiness into the material world or our expectations into the material world, it's ultimately going to fail us. The computer will break, the car will break, the pugs won't behave, whatever it happens to be. Um, the other thing I think, um, so not only is there this, this shift, this move towards uh, the experiential, but um, people have lost a lot of faith in, in religion in general. I mean, what I get now from the young adults are, you know, the religions are hypocritical. And I, you know, I kind of cringe with that, but um, it's not necessarily so, but they can be used in such a manner, absolutely. They can also be used for true faith, but mm -hmm. again, subjective experience, it's irrational. Right. And since the 1700s, we're being taught mm -hmm. that what we want is the empirical, rational world. That is our reality. So paranormal investigation, yeah, we are trying to, ironically, we're trying to find proof for faith, which I think is, uh, wow, I mean, what do you do with that? And right there is our conundrum. Um, and it's, it's a truthful one. Um, I think it's good for humans to keep trying to reach out, to try and find something outside of themselves. But at the same time, there is that, notion that we need the truth, that we should be using truthful mechanisms and manners. Uh, and how do we correlate the two? And right now, I'm not sure that we are. And so, um, but yeah, I love that you brought that up. And I think, I think that is, I think that's it. And now here we are. The television shows, um, being in television myself, I look at those shows and I say, what a bunch of bunk. Yes, yeah, so I Like, I, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. You know, like. I'm not sorry. I, I'm going to say yes, it's bunk. <laughs> you know, I, I was one of the, I was, I was the consultant to the Canadian TV series, Creepy Canada, for four oh, seasons. And they did everything legit. But I look at Ghost Hunters and the Travel Channel and the crap they've got on there. And it's like, come on, people really believe this? Yeah. Yeah, you're right. And that's where I think it's very problematic. Um, one of my very favorites uh, to watch is Paranormal Caught on Tape, because again, if you start getting folks to critically think through things, mm -hmm. number one, they're using hyperbole. So you'll watch the video, but listen to the commentators and they will 
amp it up. Yep. Uh, two, they're drawing kind of weird correlations. And you're kind of like, well, that's, that's a stretch. I mean, I know that story, and that's still a stretch. Yep. Um, and three, I look at them, and I'm kind of like, but but that could really be something natural. I mean, you know, you can be faked out. There are people that that is their thing. So I tend to agree. And the folks, this is the, the other issue with me for the field is that we have an entire generation. I, I got lamb blasted by a team that is six years old uh, because they were educated by television. And I was saying the television shows are, are really not the way to go, that you need a mentorship and you need to kind of really look into this field in a different manner. Yeah. Uh, and, uh, yeah, I, I mean, what do you do with that? I mean, they got very nasty. Randy, I hate to do this, but our time is up for tonight. I want to thank you so much for joining us. And oh, Exo Nation, you. if you'd like to get more information on Brandy Stark, visit her website at www.spiritsofstpetersburg.com. I'll be back on the other side of this commercial break with the news at six and a half minutes past the top of the hour as we continue here in the Exxon from our broadcast center and studios in Niagara, Ontario, Canada. Don't go away. Here at Mountain Dew, we'd like to remind you, you got to know what's important and what's not important. Knowing how to tie a tie, not important. Keeping a diary, not important. Trying all the different bold flavors of Mountain Dew, important. Experience the boldest flavors on earth. Do the Dew. At Mountain Dew, we'd like to recognize the number zero for making Mountain Dew Zero Sugar possible. You have no reason not to try it, as in zero. Get it? Crack open an ice-cold Mountain Dew Zero Sugar. It's zero sugar, all Dew. Mary redeemed a $50,000 cash prize playing Chumba Casino online. I was only playing for fun, so winning was a dream come true. Chumba Casino is America's favorite free online social casino. You, too, could have the chance to win life-changing cash prizes. Absolutely anybody could be like Mary. Be like Mary. Log on to ChumboCasino.com and play for free now. No purchase necessary. Void or prohibited by law. 18-plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. The voice in the preceding commercial was not the actual voice of the winner. 